All right, you can grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter number 2, Galatians chapter number 2. We know that in this book of Galatians, Paul is the author, and he, being a Jew, was yet in a battle for the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing these churches in the region of Galatia and uh, expounding to them the truth. And beloved, the modern church must also be careful that we do not put men into a form of bondage that is our own making. The churches of Galatia wanted to put people back under the law. and Maybe today we don't want to put people under the law, but we do sometimes get our own set of guidelines or preferences. We must be careful about what we do when we're guiding people in truth or maybe just in preference. We've got to be careful not to be in this group where if you're not like me, you don't fit. If you don't fit into my mold, if you don't fit into my characterizations, then you don't fit. Uh, we need to remember to love people as Christ loved people. That said, there is no question, beloved, that there should be a definitive, definable difference when somebody is saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no question about that. The title of tonight's message is The Different Life After the Gospel. The Different Life After the Gospel. That's a fact. We're going to try and get through the balance of these verses in chapter number 2, verse 15 through 21. The verses are very wordy, and if you don't take time, like if I just read them off to you right now, I'm not sure how much of it would soak in. Um, well, let's just read it. Let's just follow through, and, and it, this will be an introduction, and we're going to come back to it and go verse by verse, beginning in verse number 15, reading down through verse number 21. He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Well, we want to look here at this, the different life after the gospel. And we're going to break this up into some points for you. First of all, in verses 15 and 16, we see the stereotypical life. The stereotypical life. We see, first of all, a common condition. 
the stereotype, the, the, the average man, the, the normal person that's out there. He describes here in verse number 15, he says, We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. Quite literally, the Jews felt they were under a misconception that they were not sinners like the Gentiles. They felt they had a superior position. Being the chosen nation of God, they were God's chosen people, yet they were still sinners. And Paul tries to give them some clear instruction. Although it's a common condition, we understand that all men, Jew or Gentile alike, are born sinners. Paul corrects their faulty thinking as he goes through this here tonight. But it's a common condition, beloved. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus Christ. Then we come to a common conclusion in verse number 16. He tells us here, the law cannot justify. He says, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law. Actually, three times in this verse, he phrases that. He attacks the law, showing the inadequacy of the law to justify man. It cannot do it. The law is insufficient. As a matter of fact, the law is much like quicksand. The more you strive to attain or to achieve the letter of the law, the more you realize you are short from getting there. The harder you struggle, the deeper you go. And that's what the law is meant to do. The law, beloved, cannot justify, but the law can expose. The purpose of the law was to show the sinful condition of man. Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For if I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. He says, hey, I wouldn't have known about sin had I not been exposed to the law. You know, when you're driving down the road and you see a police officer, you look quickly for the law. Where's the sign? Where, what is the speed limit? I love it now that on your phone or on your GPS, it shows you the current speed limit, whatever road you're on, you know, and it's pretty accurate. Most of the time it gets it right. You can look at it and it'll tell you the speed limit on this road is 55. And you're looking for the law. You wouldn't even know if you were speeding or not, except the law was posted somewhere. And so the law exposes our sin by showing us what God's law is. And beloved, every one of us, that are born in sin, acknowledge the fact the law can't save, and so we have a common conversion expressed here in verse number 16. He says, Not by the works of law, but by, uh, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Backing up a little bit, he says in verse number 16, he says, But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by the faith of of Christ. Beloved, each and every person that's ever come to Christ came by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ and in Him alone, regardless of who they are. The Jews felt they had a superior position. Some feel that they have an inferior position. There are those that would say, well, I am too bad for God to save me. And others feel they're too good for God to save them. But all men have to come to Jesus Christ. Acts 10.34 says, Then Peter opened his mouth and he said, Of a truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. 
doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how good you were, what your background is, what your heritage is. The only way to come to Christ is by putting your faith and trust in him. All, beloved, are justified when they put their faith and trust in Christ and him alone. But each and every one of us come from a different background and are at a different place in our lives. What I'm saying, beloved, is it seems like today people that come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, let's face it, they're coming with a lot of baggage. The fact of the matter is, is that's because Satan has had his way in this world and the curse of sin is on man and men who have lived under that curse, they have been scarred by sin. And they come to Christ and they put their faith and trust in Christ and but they've got a lot of baggage with them. A lot of things, if God in His mercy or grace did not find or see fit to guide their life or they didn't come in a place like me, I still was a sinner and needed a Savior. But by God's grace, I grew up in a Christian home. By by and large, I was protected from and kept from many of the scars that I could have had from sin. But what I'm saying, beloved, is everybody's at a different place. We all came to the cross the ground's level at the foot of the cross, amen? And what I'm saying is we've got to be careful that we don't become intolerant or judgmental of those that are still struggling. Whatever it might be in their life, whatever's going on in their life, <clears throat> uh, we've got to be careful because it's pretty easy for us to get like the Pharisees and we, we all of a sudden, we've gained some victory in our life. We've achieved some and God's grace has been sufficient for us and allowed us to learn some things and we've grown some. And, and so we're over here, but other people that come to Jesus Christ, they're, they're way back here somewhere. And there's a lot of things you might look at their life and say, well, they need to get that right and they need to change that and they need to do this and they need to do that. We got to be very careful not to be intolerant of them. And not to try, to try and help them instead of hurt them in the walk that they need to grow in the Lord. Beloved, maybe God has given you some victory. And now you, you aren't careful, you'll stand in judgment of those that are still struggling for victory. You know, it's possible that they have gained victory in their life in some areas that you haven't. It's just you're looking at the, the, the one area that, you know, you say, well, they should, they should be fixing that because it's the one area you got ready, you got taken care of. You know, I've known some men that, that uh, struggled with smoking and trying to get that victory in their life, and it was a battle for them, and they're looking to try and get victory that. But they, they had won the battle of a, of a daily walk with the Lord, and they were meeting with God each and every day. Uh, I, I knew some Bible college students Studying for the ministry didn't have a walk with God. Something different that they needed to grow in. And every one of us in a different place, and we need to realize, beloved, that that process is what is called sanctification, and it's a process that takes some time and effort. So not only do we see the stereotypical life, this, this things that are common for all men, We've all sinned. Justification is not sufficient. We need to come by the grace of Jesus Christ. But the process of sanctification, the sanctified life is there. There should be a difference after we come to the cross through the gospel. He says in verse number 17, he says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, 
Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. The fact of the matter, beloved, is not only faith the foundation of justification, it is also of sanctification as well. God's process of sanctification is something that takes time, and there's no way in one subpoint of a message here on Thursday night I could adequately define the process of sanctification or give any uh, real, true, uh, total concept of the idea of God sanctifying us through His work in our lives and changing us into the image of His Son. There was a lie that the Jews were propagating that keeping the law provided a right standing with God. That's simply not true. No matter how many religions teach that, it is a a main component of any religion that's based on work salvation that there is a, a, a right standing with God is achieved by my performance. We know that that's not the case. A right standing with God comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. However, we've got to be careful not to confuse Christ's commands with man's commitments. There's a problem here. You see, there's a tendency that men have to run headlong one way or the other. Like most things in a Christian life, there really needs to be some balance. You can't run headlong off the cliff of grace and say, oh, dear, it's all grace and everything's grace and there's nothing ever expected of me afterwards and, and there's no change in my life and that's okay. One, two, three, pray after me and uh, hey, you're on your way to heaven even though nothing changed in your life, even there's no repentance in your heart, there's no change in your direction, uh, but hey, you, it's all grace so it doesn't matter. But neither should we run over here and try and, try and climb the mountain of the law and put undue pressure on men because the law does not justify. There's a balance there. These two truths hold great weight and should be used inside of God's commands. There is, however, a process of sanctification that needs to take place. Beloved, God does require of His saints. People would say, oh, that's the law. Yeah, well, we don't live by the law. We live beyond the law. God said, thou shalt not kill in the law. In the New Testament, he says, you don't even think about killing. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery in the law. He says, hey, if you've thought about it, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So so the grace that we're under today goes beyond the letter of the law. So we got to be careful that we also don't do just the opposite, where we run headlong off the cliff of grace and say, hey, it's all grace. It doesn't matter what you do. Or we go over here and try and climb the mountain of the law. It's quite a struggle for us to find that balance. It was Jesus Christ who said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Just trying to say, beloved, there is supposed to be a change. There is a process of sanctification that we are supposed to be changed into the image of God's Son. If I'm justified by putting my faith and trust in Christ and found to still be a sinner, is that is Christ the, the keeper of sin? Is this Christ's fault? He says, no, God forbid. That's not what we're supposed to do. See, not only the process of sanctification, but God's protection of salvation. I'm glad, beloved, that my salvation is not dependent upon me. 
that I'm secure, not based on my performance, but on what Christ did for me. He is the one who has completed and done the work. You see, the Jews wanted to say that, okay, you came to Christ by grace, but you're kept through the law. And there are many people who don't believe in the eternal security of the believer. There are many, many churches that would be very similar to ours, except they don't believe in eternal security. What they believe is that you have to have a certain level of performance in your life in order to keep your salvation. I'm thankful for the doctrine of eternal security. And that my salvation is secure, not based on what I do, but based on what Christ did. My salvation is kept by him, protected by him. You're not saved by your works. You're not kept by your works. You're kept by Jesus Christ. So you'd say, well, well then what is the purpose of the scriptures? The law. What is the purpose of it? If the law doesn't save me and the law doesn't keep me, then what is the purpose of the law? Should we just do away with the law? I think that the group that I'm speaking to tonight knows that that's not the case. We know that the law is a mirror. It's a mirror to show us our own heart. It's a measuring stick through which we see how short we come from the letter of God's law. It's a means by which we are appointed to Christ. Jesus himself said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So, beloved, the law is there to work in tandem with the grace. To help in the process of sanctification. That we are brought into all that God wants us to be. These two bodies of truth working hand in hand to perform the miraculous work of Christ in our lives and bring us to the place where we experience the supernatural life that God wants for all believers. That supernatural life is described for us in verse 20 and 21. He says here, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for it is righteousness, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You know, beloved, there's a major shoe manufacturer that has as its slogan, just do it. For many, many years, this has been the, the theme uh, of society at large. There have been people buying the shoes and getting the shorts and acquiring the moisture-wicking t-shirts. They feel if they get the shoes and they have the shorts that they can run the marathon. If they have the hat and the clubs and the gloves, they can golf a 70. But the fact of the matter is, is very few people actually do it. Very few that have the shoes run the marathon. Very few 
uh, complete the triathlons or hike the trails that those shoes are made for. Beloved, there's far too many Christians that live in the same arena. What I'm saying is we have a new life in Christ. Christians have bought the shoes. They've got the Bible they carry under their arm. They even go to the gym occasionally, the church. They've learned some lingo and they've acquired a, a form of godliness. But the fact of the matter is, is very few are really living the supernatural life that God wants them to live. They have the trappings of it, but are not performing it. They never experience a supernatural victory that God wants for them. I wonder how many people left the Marriage Matters Conference last week with an idea in their hand, and they went home and they put it on the shelf with last year's ideas. Like the runner does with the shoes that he paid a bunch of money for that now are collecting dust in the closet. It's not accomplishing that for which it was purchased. But beloved, your salvation was purchased at a high cost. Is it accomplishing in your life that for which it should? The sad thing is, as many are living a mediocre Christian life. And if that's the case, it's not Christ's fault. It's the Christian's fault. I believe it was Oswald Chambers that said, the weakest one of God's children, when utterly surrendered to the Spirit of God, is empowered to accomplish the supernatural. God has a supernatural life that he wants us to live. Describe for us here in verse number 20. First of all, we see God's provision for the supernatural life is given to us in that Christ died for us. He says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. We are to die to ourselves. Romans 6, 6 says, Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Being crucified with Christ means that old sinful nature was crucified with Christ. That old sinful appetites were crucified with Christ. The victory's been won. The, the battle's over. God is on the throne. And you and I don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear being separated from God forever because the, the victory's been won. Our, our debt has been paid. Beloved, it's not just to imitate him, but to identify with him in death. Just as in Adam all men were made sinners, it is so in Jesus Christ all men are made alive. In 1 Corinthians 15.22 he says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We're talking, beloved, about the provision of the supernatural life that the sad fact is, as many Christians never experience. Hudson Taylor said, I have learned that the secret is the exchanged life. 
the exchanged life. He that loses his life shall save it. Giving our lives into the hands of God and letting Him lead. I'm crucified with Christ. When Christ died, He won the battle for me. I don't have to fight it. The victory's been won. The price has been paid. God's provision for the supernatural life, and He gives us here God's power for the supernatural life. We see, beloved, that we have the power of His resurrection. He says, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth. This is a defining or distinguishing character trait of Christianity, and you guys know it. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. No matter what men say, we, have, we are just a few weeks away from celebrating Easter and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. But beloved, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that assures us of our resurrection. But it also empowers us to be able to live the Christian life through Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection is. We have the power of His resurrection. Romans 6 verse number 9 says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. Beloved, he went to the grave in humiliation, but he rose from the grave in power. Not only do we have the power of his resurrection, but we have the power of his residence. He says there, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth. What's the next two words? In me. Christ liveth in me. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is God working in you, beloved. Not only do we have new life, but you have a new residence. He is, he is in you. John 14, 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, he shall be in you. You know what? It's still me. I'm still me. I still have my personality, but I'm supposed to be under new management. It is supposed to be Jesus Christ who took up residence in me at salvation that is empowering me to live this Christian life. Romans 6, 10 through 13, he says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Every single child of God has a new life in Christ. New life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He liveth. We have the power of His resurrection in me. We have the power of His residence in our lives. It's something that Christians for far too long have struggled to try and live this Christian life in their own power. It's the victory that God has already won, that He is living through us if we could yield to Him. 
Every believer now has the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Paul goes on, he says, that this power would be evident in the flesh. He says, the life which I now live in the flesh. Now you know he's not talking about living fleshly or living in a fleshly way. He's talking about his physical body, the flesh that he has that people could see. He was describing his walk, what people saw. He says, the life that I now live in the flesh, what people are looking at me, what people see me do day to day, day in and day out, the life I now live in the flesh, knows what he says here, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This is an amazing statement, a powerful truth for every believer who's trying to live this Christian life. He said, the life I live in the flesh, what this world sees me do, how I live and act and, and the victories that I experience, I'm doing it because I have the power of his faith. Note, beloved, what it says there. He says, I live by the faith in the Son of God. Does it say that? Why don't you look at it? See what it says. See what it says. I live by the faith of the Son of God. You see, many times we're looking at our life and we say, I wonder if I have enough faith to do that. But it's not my faith. I live by the power of the faith of God, of Jesus Christ, who now lives in me, so I have available to me the power of his faith. If faith is obedience, as I teach that it is, there was never anybody more obedient than Jesus Christ. And now to live the Christian life, it's not how much faith do I have and can I conjure up enough faith to be able to do what I need to do. No, I need to submit and yield to the Holy Spirit and to God and it is his faith that is in me. In reality, it is not our faith that grows stronger. It is His faith within us that increases as we grow more spiritual. His faith in us. Beloved, remember that He gave Himself for you and I. He has a great interest in our sanctification. He has a great interest in our success as a Christian life, in this Christian life. He says here that who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved us. He gave himself for us. And the life that we live as Christians is not something we have to do in our own power, our own strength, our own faith. We have a risen Savior that lives inside of our heart that empowers us with his faith to accomplish what God wants to do in our lives. As I bring this to a conclusion, we see some closing thoughts here that sums it all up. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. In context, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, I'm not going to try and earn my way to heaven. 
I'm not going to try and climb the mountain of law to try and attain my position with God because if it could be done that way, then God died in vain. And Jesus died in vain. But I would just like to apply this last little statement here in a practical sense here where he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. We know the grace of God is what brought us salvation. There's no question in our heart and minds about that. The people I'm speaking to tonight don't need to be convinced of that. A lot of what I've shared with you tonight is, is truths that you already know and you weren't trying to settle them or had any questions with regards to the, you know, justification by grace or the law. That was settled in your mind a long time ago. But I wonder, beloved, if we don't frustrate the grace of God because we are not living the Christian life that the grace of God paid for. The grace of God, which was bestowed on us, purchased for us a Christian life, allowed the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. We have a risen Savior. But I wonder if we frustrate the grace of God because we're not living to our potential. Oh, we've bought the shoes and we know the lingo. But are we living it? Are we doing it? Is it something we just talk about on weekends? Or is it something that's real? That is changing us day by day and week by week. Being conformed into the image of His Son. That process of sanctification. Every one of us here is in a different place in the process of sanctification. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. That's not the goal. The goal is to look to Jesus and say, Lord, am I, am I where you want me to be? Am I frustrating the grace of God because I'm not living up to what you would want me to do? What you've purchased and paid for for me and my salvation, the new life that I have in Christ, and I'm not, not living it. I'm not experiencing it. Maybe because of my lack of faith or maybe because you didn't understand that the power of God is there for you to be able to experience it. There's to be a difference after we come through the gospel. 